0: Welcome to Live Life Better from Virgin. I'm Melissa Hemsley. I'm a cook, writer, and champion of feel good sustainable food. In this series, we're on a sensory adventure exploring sound, sight, smell, taste, and touch, all the way through to that mysterious sixth sense. Last week, we heard about the power of sight, about the role of colour, light, and visual experiences in creating a happier and healthier lifestyle. But today it's our taste buds that we're lighting up and in the studio I'm joined by two particularly scrumptious guests and I can say that because I'm a woman. Kimberly Wilson, a chartered psychologist turned Great British Bake Off finalist, who regularly discusses the relationship between food and psychology. Hello, Kimberly. Hi there. And I've got Rachel Ammer, a vegan Instagrammer and YouTube blogger. She's on a mission to show how delicious and diverse the vegan community can be, and she's got a very exciting cookbook coming up. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Coming up, I'll also be sampling cocktails by the internationally renowned and multi award winning bartender and experimentalist. Mr Lion. But Kimberly and Rachel, let's get going. We're on a bit of a sensory adventure here. It's all about taste. When did you both realize that food was more than just nourishment or just enjoyment, but something that speaks to your sense of purpose? Kimberly.
1: Ooh, good question. Um I've always been kind of interested in cooking personally, and I've cooked for a long time for myself, Um, but in terms of interweaving that with my clinical work, I suppose it was seeing how much food played a role in my client's psychological lives, and then there's a really strong strand in psychotherapy training which is about understanding how much of our emotional worlds are wrapped up in food so for example our very first relationship so the relationship of the mother and the baby is mediated through food it's at breastfeeding right so the baby is in the mother's arms and at the same time that you're feeding or the baby's feeding you're looking intently into each other's arms you're being held so there's that interweaving between the eating experience and the experience of taking in care and love and affection. And the latest neuroscience research is really showing us that those very, very, very early memories... They're not lost, but they're kind of very, very deeply embedded in the mind and they become the foundation that we build lots of other things on. So as a psychologist, it's really, really difficult to
0: try to conceive of someone's psychological world without having an understanding of their relationship with food. Mm, Big time. I actually remember one of my first memories is my mum sort of feeding me mom's from the Philippines and she she would eat traditionally a lot with her hands. Mm. And apparent and I remember her feeding me prawns dipped in vinegar. And oh, I remember wow. like I remember the feel of the the, the carpet under my, you know, my, my chunky baby thighs and <laughs> my toddler thighs <laughs> and um, my nappy, and I can remember everything about it. And apparently she told me that for years I would ask her to feed me from her fingers mm. until <laughs> she got to the point she's like, we, we we've got to move on now.
1: You're fifteen. But, <laughs> it, was, yeah, you're
0: 15. <laughs> it was a fork. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it tasted better from her hands yeah. and, and it's so interesting that and I, I really now if I'm, if I'm ever needing of comfort I feed myself Filipino food with my hand Wow. Funny. Yeah, and your and your do you remember your first memories? Your first food memories? My food
2: memories are more my mum being annoyed at how sensitive my taste buds were and how all I wanted to eat was rice and pitta bread. and tell <laughs> rice in the pitta bread? No, 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 separately. separately. Yeah, but I think for me it was really I went travelling. I mean, I always had um food. My mum actually cooked really well for me. I just took it for granted because she studied nutrition, so it was always kind of relatively well balanced. But then I went travelling around South America. And um, that's when I was more excited about food. I guess you could say it was the environment that I was in and, and the food I was eating was so different to what I was used to, but kind of nostalgic to being Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, I went vegan. And then being vegan had this whole like enthusiasm and excitement to be like, oh, my goodness, like I love food anyway. How can I continue to love food as much as I did before but just eliminate meat, fish and dairy? Mm. And then from that... Became this like new wave of kind of nostalgic experiences from before of eating, but in a plant-based way, and it and also I find it funny because I intertwine that with music, which is interesting. So. If I have a good meal, you'll probably see me dancing. There's like this automatic connection I've seen for these me. dancing <laughs> videos. They're very,
0: very good. It's like Hang on, so no more taramasalata for you? No more taramasalata. So have you managed to recreate? No. Do you know what's so funny? Hang on. I'm just going, I can't stop. You said rice and pita bread and taramasalata, which I find quite a strong, interesting flavour that a lot of kids wouldn't like. Yeah, that was your thing?
2: Yeah, I don't know what happened, but my grandma started giving me taramasalata and pita
0: bread. Maybe because it reminds you of your grandma. You love your grandma.
2: There we go. There you go. <laughs> it, was gra- it was
0: grandma's dip. Okay, Kimberly, mm. can you talk us through how you got started um, in the public eye on Bake Off? <laughs> what was it like? What was your winning flavour combinations? Like, what was it?
1: Well, again, Bake Off was just, I'm very much, and I, I think I try to kind of convey this in my clinical work as well, is that try to remember that life is short and you need to take as many adventures and opportunities as you can. So Bake was very much that for me. It wasn't kind of... When I came out of the show, people were like, oh, are you are going to quit being a psychologist? i was like, no, I actually... I love my job. I love my job. And it wasn't one of those, well, I need to change my life. I just wanted to have this adventure. Um, so the show was... Fantastic! It was just a lot of fun, and I, for me, it was like baking camp. It was like every week.
0: Wasn't it amazing? Amazing food psychology sort of case study watching that many people stressing and and being completely immersed in flavors
1: and food. It was really extraordinary because I had this moment in my first, the first ever challenge, uh, which was just a Victoria sponge. Just it's almost like the foundation food for a baker. Cake, you know, you just think it's just it's just a sponge, (laughs) Um, and we go in and you suddenly have this incredible moment of panic. So we were standing outside the tent and people started going, oh, so what method are you using? What are you doing? How are you going to do it? And there are a couple of methods, very briefly. Um, So you can just do stick to your recipe or you can use the WI method, which is to weigh your eggs. Is that Women's Institute? Women's Institute, yeah. Um, And then match the weight of the other ingredients to the weight of your eggs. And I was sticking to my recipe, which had worked for me forever and ever. But then had this sudden panic. And that was the interesting part. I had this panic. I changed my recipe. Because all- they were psyching you out. Yeah. Uh, oh. Changed my recipe. It all went terribly wrong. And then I had to start mm. again in my first, um, my first challenge. And it was that really interesting experience of seeing what panic does and mm. seeing how being in that new situation really shifts what you know to be
0: mm. your plan. I find cooking so mega... Um, impacted based on how I'm feeling so well, and also eating if i'm stressed i just cannot eat my stomach is churning i just can't. Yeah. E- even if i'm hungry and i know that actually i need to eat i can't do it mm-hmm. and i find cooking such a relaxing way and i know that a lot of people don't find cooking for themselves particularly relaxing which is a shame and mm-hmm. i know that we're all about very simple home cooked comforting foods but it is interesting isn't mm-hmm. it what what how we can psych ourselves out of preparing a meal for ourselves, which seems like such a basic human thing to do. Yeah,
1: well, actually, the thing about not being able to eat when you're stressed is because they're two different parts of the nervous system. So essentially, you have your fight or flight system and then your rest and digest system. And they work as a kind of counterbalance. They, they can't be going at the same time. So when you're stressed or worried or anxious, your body is preparing to respond to that threat. And it's shutting down digestion, relaxation and sex, basically basically. So anything that you'll do when you're relaxed doesn't really happen. And so that, you know, you're not running away from a tiger and thinking, Hmm, maybe I'll stop for a snack. <laughs> like so you can't do the both things at the same time. And that's why it's really important that people do try to relax and to not eat in a stress state because you won't be
0: digesting your food properly. Which is why it's so important, right, to not cook food that stresses you out. And I think <laughs> and I want to talk to you, Rachel, about vegan food and how it is something or any, any kind of plant based food. Um, I'm not vegan, but I love, you know, my, my my plate is built around vegetables and how whatever you choose to eat, don't stress about, right? Because yeah. there's no point stressing. There's no point going, I must eat kale to be healthy but i hate it and i can't stand it and buying it looking at it, smelling it, it stresses me out what do you say to people that find any kind of cooking stressful and then how do you get them to try something new if they're already afraid of everything.
2: I always kind of think that maybe you should start with the basics. So think about a meal that you had before and how you would maybe want to adapt that to use maybe more plant-based foods and more legumes. So if there's a meal you like, swap out the meat or fish or dairy with some legumes, some black beans, some kidney beans, something like that, and, and do it like slowly incorporating things. But don't panic, don't stress, don't feel like you need to have every single ingredient. Like cooking can be really fun and relaxing. So don't feel the pressure of needing the exact measurements and making sure you need, like you said, all your kale and your spinach and then all these superfoods or something like that. Keep it quite basic and quite simple until you kind of
0: slowly get into the groove. I agree that beans are our friends when it comes to all sorts of cooking because they're cheap, they can live in your cupboards, right? Yeah. Um, you don't need to stress about things going off. But people will say that they're boring. So let's talk about flavour, spices. Like, how do you take a humble tin of beans and make it taste amazing? Like, what would you it's put? It's so,
2: like, for me, it's so fun. Like, one of my favourites is a jerk seasoning. That's just one of my favourites. I agree. It's just amazing. And the other day on my YouTube channel, I did jerk lentils. So I've turned... your really really boring bean, your lentil into this like epic, delicious jerk lentils. And people have been trying it and they're like, oh my goodness, this is so good. Okay. So I'm going to make this before yeah. this podcast comes out. I'm going to make it. Cause it is packed full of flavor and it's delicious. And the texture's nice. So it's turning the boring bean legume, adding some really nice seasoning and you don't have to, something great about jerk seasoning is you can buy the pre-made mix. So you've got all the different spices together
0: and you can do that with different kind of um, seasonings so can we talk through people to people what is an what well, there's so many different varieties right there's some yeah. oregano <laughs> thyme what is it scotch bonnet
2: yeah, if you we were making like a fresh jerk, um, you would have to have your spring onions, your green onions. Yeah. You'd also need to have your allspice, a bit of nutmeg, a bit of cinnamon. You want to have something a bit sweet, whether you're doing coconut sugar or maple syrup.
0: Mm, I love coconut
2: sugar. A bit of soy sauce or swap that for coconut aminos if you're not doing soy. Um, oregano, like yeah. you said, thyme essential um, you can also add coriander and parsley and it all just kind of infuses together. And no wonder it tastes it.
0: so good, right? It's so good. It's so and good. I think the really, I, th- I think what, it's 2019. I've been cooking now professionally for about nine or ten years. Mm. Back when I was cooking, you had to sort of make your own spices or spice mixes a bit more th- than now. Because now there's so many people that have got food startups and so many supermarkets now have realised that... Home cooking, people want to home cook, even if they don't get to cook as much as they like. And there are such great quality brands out there. So you can forget about having to do it all. If you love it already, yeah, mm-hmm. make it. If that really chimes with you and you've got time, for a glass of wine, make a seasoning. But there's almost no reason now to not make something taste delicious. It's so easy, isn't it? So much easier now. and. Kimberly, you described yourself once as a flavour magpie. I really like that. I don't quite understand, but I do. But talk me through it. I want to be a flavour magpie. I think I'm one too. It's just this idea that I feel like sometimes we
1: get a bit locked within the immediate kind of global community of flavours. And I, what I love is finding deliciousness all over the world. So lovely kind of the fermented flavours of of Japan and how they get more flavour out of something when you've given it just salt and thyme. Um, T-I-M-E. And T-I-M-E, yes. <laughs> um, and then just the kind of wealth of flavours from Southeast Asia and all of those wonderful spices. And then going across into... Like, just going across the world and, like, seeing how people have made use of their immediate environments mm, to local create food. Yeah, and I think there's no you know, certainly in the west there's no nothing that really stops us from really taking advantage of that and and for me it's also about f- using food as a way to find out something about a community or a group Absolutely. of people and their story and if you're interested in people you have to do that through the food like the food is the most direct way to understand something about someone's life and it's the one thing no matter where you're from in the world that we all share, we all have an experience of hunger. We all have an experience of eating and it's something that we can commune over.
2: It's something really personal that you can share with someone as
0: well. I find. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do you guys know about a charity called cook for Syria? Mm-hmm. There, there's a charity. It's about, um probably coming up to two years old now and there's a cook for Syria cookbook and a, and a, a baking book as well. And, the money is, is raised to support Syrian refugees and also people in Syria. Mm. And what's incredible about it, there's one particular guy called Imad who's actually got a pop-up going in London at the moment. And he says, and he's now here with his daughters and his family, and slowly but surely each family member is able to come over. And he says what he loves the most about Cook for Syria is the fact that his kids aren't going to be able to grow up and, or go back to Syria now. And he feels mm. so happy yeah. that people in London and, and the UK have embraced Syrian cuisine. They're interested and curious. And he can now, mm. his kids can sort of talk about it and talk about their culture that they've now not got home for mm. that they can enjoy. And I have loved learning about Syrian food. And I just like you know, teaching, I always say to someone, like, if they if someone invites me over to their house, which never happens, because everyone wants to come <laughs> to my house, yeah. I always say, just yeah, they, I, I just say, Cook me something that your mum would make you. Because yeah. I feel like that's the best thing yeah. ever. Um, cook me something that your mum would make you, or what would you cook for someone when they're not well? Mm. I think that's yeah. always a really yeah, great way really good, of. Yeah. Um, Of doing So, like, it is a bit of a... February is not the most cheerful time of year. Does anyone have any flavours that they turn to at this time of year for cheering them up or... Mine's ginger. I'm just going to put it out there before anyone takes ginger. I could eat so much ginger. (laughs) But it's like
2: um, when my mum... My mum's dad is from Sierra Leone and her mum is from Wales. So when she was little, she would spend summers in Sierra Leone. And one of the meals she always had was peanut chicken stew. Mm. So recently I made her a vegan version and it like blew her mind and gave her that kind of nostalgic feeling of being back in Sierra Leone, but a plant-based version. And that is like ginger, spices, peanut butter, smooth peanut butter with tomatoes. And we've got some black-eyed peas in there, butternut squash, spinach, and it just comes together. It's so hearty, so
0: comforting. And it's got scotch it, so that... Little bit of heat. <laughs> so peanut butter chicken, f- originally from Sierra Leone, and now it's what have you named it? Well, it's in my cookbook. Okay. <laughs> when, when do we get to see the cookbook? When's it out? The cookbook is out
2: in June. That's exciting. Still, What's yeah, it called? So, Rachel Amma's Vegan Eats. And there's so many recipes that really kind of tie into my kind of cultural experience through the my roots, as well as being in London and all the really Normal basic meals that you can quickly make after work and stuff like that. So I'm very, very excited very to share excited.
0: it. And Kimberly, what is your comfort flavour and what, what do you use in the kitchen to cheer yourself up? Or I think so. It's something I'm a big fan of bowl food, like Me too. when you're
1: yeah, in need of some soothing bowl food, whatever form that takes. So I really like noodle soups and I think and with extra chilli oil so yeah probably chilli in a kind of bowl food kind of way so noodle soup it heats or, you up doesn't yeah. it <laughs> and it's, like, it's that combination of like the physical warmth of like the hot soup and then the heat of the chilli which I think is like a winning combination and like
0: the bigger the bowl if you can just sort of Get the bowl, yeah, and sort of rest rest it on your stomach. Because (laughs) I do think food tastes different depending on what you eat it on or in. Or for me, one of my resolutions was to... I I didn't used to be a TV watcher, but obviously I watched The Bodyguard and now I'm just looking for that next, you know, fix. And so I do find myself sometimes sitting in front of the TV eating and I just feel like I rush through my meal. I know, I know that if I slow down eating if I chewed that bit more which I'm really good at for the other times of day I know that I'll hit that sort of saver button in my head a bit more Mm -hmm. and feel more satisfied um from your point of view when you see people and you offer them advice on food and so on do, do you talk to them about not just what they're eating but how they eat it and what times yeah I mean eating is fundamentally it was certainly my position is
1: that eating is fundamentally emotional there's always something it's it's our most direct way of relating to yourself and taking care of yourself and nourishing yourself and and all of that. And I, I did a post recently on my Instagram that says, you know, you have a relationship with food. You do. Whether that relationship is relaxed or anxious or academic or stressed or controlling or intuitive or pragmatic, any of these things, you have a relationship with food and it says something about how you treat yourself. So it's really about understanding what people are communicating when they eat and what they do and whether they're taking time to pay attention to themselves, um, what they're trying to achieve. Because most people are trying to do something through food that they don't realise and it's not nutritive, it's something else entirely. So there's a big kind of unpacking job that needs to be done when when people come to me to think about their relationship with food and their bodies and themselves.
0: Mm. And I know a lot of a lot of my friends when stressed or heartbreak or I mean, just all sorts of stresses, sugar seems to be or sugary flavours, sugary foods seem to be what they turn to. Mm. Is there something that another taste that you try and steer people towards or encourage them to do to avoid always reaching for that sweet spot? Well, that's not really the way that I work. And I've, I've I've done another post recently
1: about how comfort food is a real thing. And we shouldn't, necessarily be afraid of that that actually there are lots of different ways of taking care of yourself and it's okay for food to be one of those as long Mm. as it's not the only thing that you rely on to take care of yourself and and sugar is a really interesting one because it's one of the tastes that uh so sugar is in breast milk and so babies have a receptor for sweet tastes and you can become a baby's best friend by giving them a piece of marshmallow like it (laughs) well willy wonka (laughs) knew that (laughs) Um, and still so using that tip now. <laughs> <laughs> really will. Like, oh. um, and so it's really about and the issue with sugar is that we evolved in environments where actually sugar was really important for us so over our, our evolutionary history food was scarce it was difficult to come by and finding a source of energy was really really important and as well as our co-evolution with plants in that they we're supposed to be part of the way that they reproduce and sow their seeds, and so they want us to eat the fruit... Travel and then disperse the seed um, poop. in poop into a little package <laughs> of fertilizer, so that it can carry on. So there's this co-evolution between humans and the environment, which says, "Actually, come and eat this delicious sweet food. It will give you enough energy to exist, and also it will help us to prosper. Win-win um, for everybody. For everybody, and that's fine until we get to our modern food environment, which is now we are able to extract sugar, and it's mm-hmm. inv- available in much more concentrated sources than it's ever been before. Or in the history of our lives, ever. Wow. And so it's about understanding our relationship with food and with sugar and sweetness and being much more aware of when we're eating it so that we're really responding
0: to internal cues rather than external ones. Yeah. Okay. So, evolutionary wise, that's why we love sugars for that calorie fix. And now, we smell food so you, you know when you walk past any fast food shop or any any big chain they pump out sweet smells right mm-hmm. what are they doing to us <laughs> how does it get us i mean i know how but tell everyone why it's why there's no surprise we can't resist it what's well, going on totally
1: they're kind of hijacking your brain and you know when you go into the supermarket even if the bakery section is way at the back of the supermarket you're smelling they the hot. they pump it out yeah. <laughs> they pump it out to the front of the doors because they know it's going to draw you in because food is so motivating because we need it to survive. So much of our biology is directed to getting us to go towards food. Um, And the thing about smells and taste, and they overlap a lot, a lot of taste is about smell, is that when you smell something, the way that the brain is, you know, the senses are are designed is that the neurons from your nose go directly into an area of the brain called the amygdala and another area called the hippocampus. And if you want a little bit of science. we do. <laughs> um, so the amygdala is the kind of centre of our emotional, the limbic system. So both of these areas are part of the limbic system, which is our kind of emotional management system. And the amygdala manages our fight and flight response and our, resp- our survival responses, essentially. And the hippocampus is really central to memory, especially long term memory. So laying down, down stories of our lives, and that's why smell more than any of the other senses a smell and taste. Are so linked to emotional memories. So when you taste something and it reminds you of your mum, or it reminds you of your grandma, or it takes your mum back to her childhood, it's because smell goes directly into our emotional memory system.
2: I find it interesting that before I went vegan, if I smelt KFC, I used to get so like, oh yeah, I just need some KFC. Whereas now, like my emotional relationship with it has completely
0: changed, and now when I smell it? it, I feel more sad. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. so we can, so we can, because we can. Our taste bud, you know, people are say they they want to not crave something so much because they've decided that food might not be sit well with them, or they'd like to cut down on something. I mean, I'm thinking about people that want to maybe steer clear of say. A brand, a fast food chain. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, could, what are, what are the tips? Is, is, it about making associations with something else? So, for example, if I've been like coffee, <laughs> do, do, do you need a session? Is this- <laughs> Can I have a free session? Um, I, I know if I've got into a habit of having i don't know what like coffee doesn't generally sit that well with me if i'm already feeling quite stressed that day or anxious Mm -hmm. so say i don't want coffee i actually quite often turn to ginger and lemon or something else which for me really helps my cravings um and but gives me that comfort of that lovely hot drink to hold instead is there any any way that people can sort of help themselves create better or different relationships with foods that they're craving one food that they know to be better for them than another Mm -hmm. I
1: think it's really about, certainly the way that I work is really about understanding what you're craving. Yeah. Um, because I think people work, we have a kind of a negative association with cravings, but I think it's all information. So if like, if you're craving coffee, actually, are you tired? Mm. And is it actually that message that you need to be taking in? And should I be working less or managing my time more? Or just, should I just go to bed? Um, so with, and that happens a lot with food cravings because food is so emotional. We sometimes mistake the food for the emotional association. So let's say you were craving something. <laughs> like, or your you know your mum was craving. Exactly. You're craving <laughs> chocolate. And actually maybe what you're craving is a bit of downtime. Yeah. Or whatever emotional associations you make with chocolate. Yeah. So it's really
0: about understanding what is being linked to that food more often than not. And so when people come around your house. Rachel. Yes. Um. And say they've not had your delicious vegan delights, your jerk lentils, and all your amazing things that I want to try from your new book. How do you set the scene? What's it like when you feel there's a lot of pressure to? I don't know. People are feeling judgmental. I know before when I've cooked dinner parties for people, for my private clients, people will go, "Oh, you know, I ate before I came. Didn't think I was going to like it." Yeah. What, what do you? I
2: am always really nervous, but then I've always been like. I am, my mum's not vegan none of my family members are vegan so I'm kind of used to and you haven't always been
0: vegan and yeah. I haven't
2: always been vegan but I'm, I'm kind of used to cooking for people who aren't vegan and it, it literally gets me so excited when I make a meal and I'm like how was it and they're like oh Rachel it was so good and I'm like yes <laughs> <laughs> there's just certain foods that are really easy to swap out like and when I see the joy on my friends and family's face when I've done it I feel so
0: accomplished and I'm like yes we've done it <laughs> And do you get people say to you, oh, but I couldn't, I couldn't eat that way or I couldn't introduce more vegan foods because I hate X. So for example, cauliflower, it must be super satisfying when you it help is. change and, the perception of a vegetable.
2: And I feel like <laughs> for so many years, there's been an emphasis on how we cook meat in so many different ways to bring out different textures and flavours. And now we're in a time where we're using vegetables more. And now there's this new like excitement on how many different ways can I cook a carrot to turn it into maybe a carrot salmon looks or roast carrot and it's nice and crunchy and you have a dip with it and there's just so many ways we can look at vegetables now and be like what textures can we bring out yeah. of them
0: so on the subject of entertaining friends and family with delicious food i met up with the multi-award winning bartender ryan chathia wadana aka mr lion and i sampled a few of his innovative cocktails we'll be hearing a little bit about how he likes to unlock the senses after the break
3: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: Finding
1: happiness in a satisfying and fulfilling career can be a challenge. But when you throw additional barriers into the mix, the idea of job satisfaction can seem like an unattainable goal.
0: Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about? the most shameful
1: mistake you've ever made in your life.
0: Shameful mistake? And ho- ho- hold for it. I asked that yeah. just, to, just to offer a sense of what is effectively the question I'm asked every time I apply for a job.
1: Breaking Barriers is a groundbreaking podcast series. In each episode, two people come together to have an open and frank conversation about barriers in the workplace. I'm Yasmin Abdelmajid, and I'll be guiding you through each episode. The whole series is available right now on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you happen to
0: be listening. Breaking Barriers, an original podcast from Virgin. Okay, so Ryan is here. I'm very, very excited. He's only just come back from travelling, so I'm amazed that... I feel like I want to say you cut your trip short to be part of of this podcast. (laughs) We could not do a Taste podcast without having you because actually when we were planning this, you were the first person I thought of. You are... Is your mouth insured?
4: (laughs) Actually, a good friend of mine suggested that because he had his whole sense of taste knocked out by a cold and he was like, you should really insure this, Um, but it's not.
0: Okay, so if anyone out there has got an insurance company give me your details and I'll pass it on to Ryan. I'll take a little cut. I feel like you have massively changed the drinks industry and the food industry in London and beyond because of your knowledge and the way that you make taste so exciting and something to think about. Um, before I gush on about you too much, why don't you say what you're about, how you got started briefly, and why taste is your thing?
4: Sure. So, I love the world of food and drink. To me, it's it's really exciting because it's just such a great way, not only of seeing the world, but of bringing people together. And I really love that, you know, you can pick up different things that really spark a bit of nostalgia or just help people be relaxed or excited. And that's all I've really been excited to to kind of explore. So started off in actually kitchen, so in the chef world, and then got really excited by how drinks were a great conduit for just helping people get together. So I've been working in food and drink for—I want to show my age here—but a good twenty odd years. No, um, really, yeah, kind of pushing on that, yeah. So it was, and then it was just exciting to be able to explore that with my own project. So open some bars, and then we've just opened a little. Not just any bars, by
0: the way, massively award-winning bars. And then tell us, yeah, about your (laughs) restaurant. It's not far from here, right?
4: No, the restaurant's up the road. So uh, Cub is our—it's very much trying to blur the boundaries between food and drink, um, and also to blur the boundaries to show that
0: luxury and sustainability aren't kind of separate ideas. Absolutely. And do you know what, I'm now in a relationship, but if I wasn't, and I had to go on a first date, I would go to your places because <laughs> it would be the most obviously everyone, most people want to go for a drink to loosen up. But it's super, super interesting when you drink your drinks. And I'm now getting to drink some drinks now. So let's, let's go through <laughs> what you've got here for me and show me the thought and love that's gone into everything. So what have we got?
4: So I wanted to bring a couple of examples that challenge taste in different ways so a lot of it's of course there's aromatics and things that smell wonderful in them but it's things that really play on your palate in different ways so I've been really excited by different forms of something like salt or acidity just trying to redefine what that means you know acidity isn't one thing and if you think on something like bitterness a lot of people go oh I don't like bitter flavors and they might not like dark coffee or or chocolate, but then they love the bitterness of, of a red wine. And yes. so it's trying to look at how we can kind of show that there's different forms of acidity, sweetness, uh, salinity, and also showing how they can transform the flavours around them. So we've got a, a little bit of a gin cocktail here. Um,
0: how did you know gin's my favourite? <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, and it's really fun. It's got a nice bit of kind of spice and fruitiness in there. You
0: called it peachy martinez. Okay, yeah. cool.
4: Um, and we're going to use a little bit of try it by itself and then see how it transforms with a little bit of extra acidity and salinity to it so it really changes all the flavors around it it's really fun to see that difference Um, and then we're going to do a drink that uses beeswax um, which sounds like something you wouldn't expect to be in your drink but it gives this amazing body to it it's you know it changes the way the flavors lift off your palate it's it's really fun it's one of our favorites
0: Mm, okay what am i going to try first then
4: I think we might try actually something. We're going to try one of these products from the guys over in Copenhagen. So I've just gone out to see them. And this is really intriguing to me because it's based on chili. And I'm Good, a I love chili. Well, see, I'm a chili wuss. I Are can't you? Do, yeah, it's terrible.
0: In my head, you can take any flavor. <laughs> I'm so surprised that there's things that you can't handle. Well, I'm I'm
4: fascinated by it, but I can't. My brain can't compute it. And actually, there's something else that I'm going to give you that's in that vein. So this is a bit more light like chili. Okay. But this is it's distilling the chili. So yep. instead of getting that heavy spice, we're yep. going to have all of these amazing kind of fruitier flavors. Mm-hmm. So it's chili that kind of tastes like melon, which I wow. think is quite fun. Yeah.
0: Okay, give me Um, that one. So I'm going to start with this one. Okay, so I'm having my sip now. So it's... Oh, I can smell it. That's amazing.
4: Because you smell and you're... When I first tried this, I was terrified. I was like, okay, I'm going to be tasting a load of spice. Because you get all of those kind of cues. You think about the fact that it's going to taste hot. You know, you've got those... You know, it's got a slightly vinegary nose to it that you would think on the... It's amazing, though. And then... On the palate, it just explodes with this kind of soft fruitiness. So
0: do people, I suppose people are supposed to drink like this?
4: Yeah, it, I mean. It, just like this. I think it's great just chilled down over a cube of ice because you start to let those mm. flavours unfold. You know, that's a. Uh,
0: I can smell that habanero. Yeah. Do you know what it's reminding me of? Saki a bit. Yes. Well, is they that act- a random thought?
4: No, that's actually a very astute t- thought because they th- they use um they use koji in the production of it, so that also gives this kind of floral, really lovely kind of full flavour on the palate, which is what they use in the production of sake
0: as well. I love that. What's this, this called?
4: This is um the rather non PC named fuck Trump and his stupid fucking wall.
0: Um, <laughs> Which so, is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I wonder what inspired that. Um, that is delicious. So where can we? Where can someone drink that? So, I,
4: Empirical Spirits is, is the producers behind this, and they're based in Copenhagen, and their website, you can buy direct from them. It's
0: amazing. I tell you what, don't bother taking flowers and candles to people's houses anymore. Just buy a <laughs> bottle of that. It's absolutely delicious. Right, um, I'm saving the rest of that. Yeah. Next.
4: Okay, so we're going to do this peachy Martinez. Okay, so it's based on quite a nicely spiced gin, so it's uh, it's called Colombo it's it's using kind of botanicals from Sri Lanka, which is mm. where my family are from, so it's a nice nod to that. Um, That's and why you're
0: so good with your flavours, because Sri Lankan food is just blows my mind how delicious it is, right? There's it's a lot so of incredible
4: aromatics going on there.
0: And botanicals. And and you know what? I feel like two or three years ago, unless you were mad on drinks and, and in the drinks industry, the word botanicals didn't pop up that much. But no. isn't it incredible now how it's botanical, this and that? And it's yeah. fantastic. And obviously, all the non-alcoholic drinks. I mean, are you seeing a, a change in how people drink with alcohol and not alcohol? And
4: a huge amount. And one of the things that always excited us, That by the way, that might be a bit sweet as it is, because we We've left it purposefully on that kind of slightly like fuller side. So you've got a bit of the spice from the gin. There is uh, a kind of Rosso vermouth and a bit of a kind of peach vermouth in there as well. I love this. But what we're going to add is this is a, a 3% solution of some this wonderful cider vinegar and some salt and just a couple of dashes. Now, it's not that you're going to taste this as being necessarily either vinegary or salty. But that was just a matter of drops. But what it'll do is it'll just kind of... It helps dry out the whole palate of it. And, you know, you get a very different the fruitiness explodes in a different way. And it's this kind of wonderful thing about the fact that your your kind of tastes blend in a really mad way. Is
0: that quite a good tip? You know, you know, people are very much, I'm sure down to you, now very interested in cocktails and serving up that cocktail, being super proud of cocktail. And I, hmm. and I know when I post a picture of um, me making a drink, people are always really into like, where's that glassware <laughs> from? They really see the making the drink before yeah. an event as part of the meal as much as the pudding is. Is that a good tip then? If you've made a cocktail and you think it's too sweet, Add a little dash of apple cider vinegar where you might think lemon or lime, but if you've run out of them, add a little apple cider vinegar. And
4: I think, you know, people should be customizing the drinks to their own tastes. There are so many wonderful flavors to play with. And, you know, traditionally people used lemon and lime to just be the kind of souring agent. But there's so many wonderful things you can use. and of vinegar is wonderful. You mm. know, just a couple of dashes and it just brightens everything. And the same with just a tiny pinch of salt. It's like you do when you're cooking. You know, if you're making, if you're baking or you're doing a dessert. You know, my mum was a pastry chef and she taught me the wonders of what a little pinch of salt will do. Just to kind of transform all the other yeah. flavours around it.
0: Okay, so that was super delicious. That was a peach martinez. That was What's our next? peach
4: martinez. Um, and I think then we're going to try. We've got
0: time for one more. Let's we're going f-
4: to yeah. do the old fashioned. So this is a very fun one. It's, it's based on whiskey and you know, an old fashioned was a a really old style of drink. It's a mixture of spirit with some sugar, water and bitters. But it really transforms with this wax. So usually this was a drink that was served over ice. Mm. And you would kind of sip it and it would dilute and it would get lighter, we've kind of reversed the process. It's probably not as cold as it should be. But it kind of while it's quite cold, it goes, you get the suggestion of it being syrupy and you get this wonderful honeyed aroma on the nose.
0: Do you know what? I just sniffed this and all I want to do is sit by a big fire with some candlelight. Ooh. Sorry. I went off into my own fantasy then. I feel like I could get through winter with this drink.
4: Yeah, it's very much that. Okay, so I'm going
0: in. What's the percentage of this?
4: uh, It's about 30%. It's boozier, for sure. But what's wonderful is as you drink through this, you know, if you're sitting there by your fire drinking away at it, (laughs) it starts to open out and the wax, it kind of builds up on your palate and it's amazing to see how it just transforms all the other flavours around it. Should
0: we be airing our spirits then like we air our wine? Uh, You've got to be careful not to
4: blow off too much but it's when you're making your drink and this works for non-alcoholic or alcoholic it's more about thinking how it changes while you're sitting there drinking with it. So, you know, if you think on gin and tonic it's wonderful because it gives you that time to chat with your friends and it opens out. It should be the same with something like an old-fashioned. You should be kind of planning on how those flavours will transform as you as you get used to it and, and as you're chatting away with friends.
0: Ooh, what could someone at home do to just start upgrading their, their drink selection or the way they present very easily?
4: It's very much how you think about your food. I mean, it makes a big difference when you have quality ingredients. Um, but it's also a bit of preparation as well. You've got to think about the context. You know, you don't want to be making really kind of hyper-precise food if you've got your best friends coming around for dinner, in the same way you don't want to be stuck in the kitchen shaking up margaritas if you've got friends around. So a bit of planning ahead makes a huge difference and little things can, can really make your life easy. So... Having some good quality ice. It sounds like a very odd one to have, but it's probably one of the key ingredients to to kind of take your good drinks from being good to great.
0: Mm. That's not a shortage hipster suggestion. No. That is actually a life <laughs> suggestion, isn't it?
4: It is indeed. Uh, my freezer's got a whole drawer of it, full of, of just ice.
0: Are you bringing out some Mr. Lion ice cube tray?
4: <laughs> not just yet.
0: <laughs> Can I manage you? Can I be your agent? Um, okay, so good ice. That's right. Really yes. So good quality ingredients. Good eyes. You're right. It's just like thinking about food, putting love into it, right? Exactly and that. Tasting and tasting as you go.
4: Taste as you go. Find the things that you know you love. You know, if you've got a favourite herb or a spice, you're going to you're gonna kind of gravitate to that in a different way. So, you know, you can put a sprig of mint or rosemary in your gin and tonic and it just makes it a bit more your own. And that, that love that goes mm-hmm. into it, that translates across.
0: We talked a bit about it. For people not drinking or cutting back on drinking, they used to just have to drink Coke or... Yeah. Um, some some tonic water yeah. their world has opened up right
4: absolutely and it's so great to see because you know there's there's plenty of reasons why you know as a drinker i there's nights where i'm not drinking or you know lots of friends who don't drink at all and you still want them to feel special and there's something magical about a cocktail so why can't they have something that you know you can't drink more than one coke or ginger beer or you're just kind of going i don't need that much sugar so being able to have something that's a bit more adult still feels special mm-hmm. and it still has that point where you can kind of cheers with your friend and it feels like you've got that nice camaraderie absolutely yeah and it's it's great to see that developing a lot
0: Thank you so much <laughs> My I pleasure. um we're gonna end now but I'm gonna finish off these drinks um go and check out everything Ryan aka Mr Lion does as I say i I think your impact on the food and drink industry has been ginormous and um, you're fascinating so thank you very well, much for coming back it. for us Thank you. Lovely to be here That was absolutely delicious. Um, if you've not been to any of Mr Lion's bars you've not lived, so go to them um, I actually, I used to hate olives and now I love olives and therefore really appreciate anything olivey and tangy and bitter in a drink Kimberly, Rachel, anything you didn't like that you now adore? Rosemary. Rosemary? I hate
2: Any time my mum tried to sneak it in my dinner, I was vexed.
0: Now. <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing it in all
2: the food I eat, which is hilarious. And also, okay. that what's that one that's like the alcoholic Sambuca? Licorice? Licorice, yeah. I haven't got time for that. I can't do that. No, licorice <laughs> is the one I still hate, like...
1: I hated it as a child, and then I thought because you become less sensitive to bitter flavors as you get older. I thought I'm going to be an adult. I'm going to try it again, and then like five years ago, I tried it again, and it's still the devil's bootlaces. So <laughs>
0: just <laughs> it, That is a great way to describe I, oh, it. Yeah, and anything else, so we can say to people if you if you don't love kale now, you may. But also at the end of the day, if you don't love kale, go find another green there are to other enjoy. Vegetables, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of my fun things to do is when I want to add some like
2: potent greens is i use like a superfood of wheatgrass and add it to a pesto like a basil pesto Ooh, wheatgrass pesto yeah that's but a good basil, one. yeah so you taste the basil and you've got like a small amount of wheatgrass that you don't taste it so much but you're getting the goodness <laughs> from it horrible. yeah
1: <laughs> let's not lie <laughs>
0: Wheatgrass pesto. I bet you someone's going to listen to this and put it in a supermarket um, <laughs> because that does, I actually think I would really enjoy that. Um, we are coming to the end of the show today. I wanted to ask Aww. you to help me um, give whoever's listening some really good tips to take from from this. Uh, anything you'd like to share with people. We are rapidly approaching February. It is colder than cold, darker than dark. Um, what can we suggest people can do to make food more delicious very easily, to enjoy it more mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to bowl food. So
1: actually, there's something really important about temperature. Um, Very quickly, our our temperature and our emotional systems are linked. So warm people, cold people is actually a reference for how we feel about them. And actually, so warm foods can make you feel better. So I would say stick to all of those lovely warming foods, soups, jacket potatoes, all that lovely stuff.
2: Yeah, and I would say if you can get some more ginger, garlic, <laughs> and some peppers, sweet peppers, chillies, yes. whether you're making the quick stir fries, add that ginger in there, go crazy, or like the soups, like a Thai soup with mm. ginger and stuff like that. Luxor. They're going to keep yes. you warm inside and t- keep the taste buds happy.
0: Fantastic! Let's all go buy those ingredients right now. My mom actually used to say when people said they couldn't cook, she'd be like, "Garlic, ginger, and onions. You cannot make anything." not taste delicious, delicious if you've got yes, those yeah. things. And I always say as well, little tip is half of cooking is like the stress of washing up and the just getting started. You know, it's like when you think, oh, I just I can't take today. But it's like you get that first foot out of bed and you're you're out of there. With cooking, I feel like if you keep your like a flavor station, I call mm-hmm. it a flavor station, everything you need close to your hand, you'll yeah. you'll not make a bland meal. Yeah. if you've got things to hand. So for you, it's that jerk seasoning and the garlic ginger. And for you, it is about that bowl and the temperature and how you're serving it and just nice hot food. I agree. But treat yourself. Take care Treat of yourself to something yeah, hot exactly. when it's rapidly <laughs> when approaching it's really February. Cold.
1: Don't
2: feel like you have to stuff your face with salad. Like
1: I agree. There are
0: other healthy ways that include warm food.
2: <laughs> I actually only eat out of bowls and I only just realise now. <laughs> do you eat with you a go. fork and a spoon?
0: Or a fork, fork and a knife in the... Yeah.
2: Yeah, and the bowl. Always bowls. You can't Always do plates. Bowls.
1: I mean, there's a theory about whether there's something about the shape which itself is
0: comforting, but maybe we won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) That's for the next episode. (laughs) So, talking of the next episode, we are very sadly out of time. I could have talked to you all for ages. I really enjoyed that. I'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you'd like to know more about the guests on this show, head over to virgin.com forward slash podcast where Kimberly, Rachel and Ryan's details will be there. They're amazing. Go and support them and follow them. We'd love to hear if this show has inspired you. So get involved with the conversation on Twitter at Virgin using hashtag Live Life Better. Live Life Better is a Pixie production for Virgin. Until next time, from me